Well, hello, welcome to July 11th. Who knew, halfway through the month almost. Um, I hope that you're all right with us continuing through the Apocrypha. Since these are recorded so early, if you're not, I'll get the message about six weeks after we recorded one of these, but I hope it's all right. And we'll get to other things. I've been stacking some of your questions. We'll get to them as soon as we're done with this. So no more, no further ado. One of the fascinating little books in scripture, uh, well, in the Apocrypha, is called The Prayer of Manasseh. Now in scripture, Manasseh was the worst, most horrible of the kings. You find his story in, in, in Second Kings, but you also find it in Second Chronicles, and you get slightly different stories. I'll explain here in a bit. We don't know much about the reign of Manasseh. We just know that according to God, especially in the Second Kings treatment, Manasseh is the most evil of all the kings that have ever ruled over Israel or Judah. He is absolutely the worst. And he dies marked as the worst ever. However, the books of Kings and Chronicles, while they tell basically the same stories, do not tell them the same way. They were written many, many, many years apart. In the book of Kings, a lot of stories end on a down note. This was bad, he is dead, and especially Manasseh. But in Chronicles, the Chronicles were being put together when the Israelites were in captivity and looking forward to being released. So they needed to know their story, but they also needed to know that they had hope. And therefore, the stories would end with some hope, saying, and things got better, or things could get better. And so Manasseh, worst guy ever, when he dies in the book of Kings, he's dead and buried and nobody, nobody is sad. In Chronicles, this guy turns around and repents, and now everything's okay. Well, that's quite the surprise ending, especially if you've read Kings. Um, in Second Chronicles 33, there is this uh, reference to this prayer, but it's not really, it's not given. It's just said, you can go read that prayer in the book of the history of the seers. We've talked about this before, just a, a couple of months ago, that the Bible mentions many books that it used as sources that we don't have. And this is one of them. Well, it would have been nice to see that prayer. Remember, this is a prayer only mentioned in Chronicles, never hinted at in Kings. In fact, the opposite, that he died an unbelieving, unpraying individual is in Kings. But in Chronicles, they're saying, and he had this prayer of repentance and he was okay then. Well, what prayer? It would be nice to read the prayer, and we don't have the history of Seer's book. We just don't have that. So here in the Apocrypha, we get the prayer of Manasseh. It's only 15 verses long. Uh, it shows up in most people's Apocrypha. Uh, and you can read it. It's e in fact, you can just find it online. Very, very easy. The prayer of Manasseh, a prayer of repentance. Um, it is actually a beautifully worded prayer. And if you're in a bad place, if you think that you have gone way too far, then I would suggest that this, the, the prayer of Manasseh may be a very powerful prayer to help you form your words of repentance to God. Skipping right past now. 
anybody who says today is worse than it's ever been has never read history and doesn't know what they're talking about. I agree a lot that is going on right now is bad, and I agree that a whole lot is without God and that judgment may come. But we are still many, many, many times more fortunate than people of other times. And the times between the Testaments, uh, sometimes people call it the 400 years of silence. God was not silent. We just don't have a lot of books written in that period of time. Um, this, this dark period of history that I'm going to refer to now because we're going to talk about the Apocrypha, about 180 BC, Alexander the Great was dead. He divided his kingdom upon his death. Well, it was planned. It was done between four different uh, generals. There was a Greek, there was Egyptian, there were, we're not going to do the whole history because this is a Monday morning message. Regardless, Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus, some people call him Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus IV, um, was a brutal beast of a human being, completely anti-Yahweh, completely anti the Jews. He was horrible. He went to Jerusalem and built a tower right in the center of the city. He imposed a tax on Jews. He outlawed the Jewish religion. Idols were set up around the city and you had to bow to them and renounce Yahweh. And he put those inside the temple too. He made, he sacrificed pigs on the altar to make sure it would be defiled forever. He made the Jewish leaders bow down to him as God. And he sporadically had families killed, even the smallest child, just as a general warning to their neighbors. They hadn't disobeyed him. He just wanted to suddenly come down on terror to show people he could do it when he wanted to do it. And people, I just haven't, I haven't even started yet. I, I won't continue. But you can look him up and the evil that this man did and that historians have, it, it's, it's right up there with the worst of the Herods and beyond. So what's going to happen? Uh, the men of Israel are now, men of Judah basically, are, are completely subservient. They, they're disarmed. They have no fight in them. They are living in a city now where their own language isn't spoken much. It has become Hellenized, made Greek, even to the point where there are gymnasiums all over the city. And you might think, well, that's not bad. Gymnasiums back then also had all kinds of temple rites and men did all of the sports nude and were supposed to relax nude and go around nude. It was this whole thing um, that Antiochus Epiphanes was trying to do was destroy every custom and every part of the culture of the Jews. But eventually, one family had had enough and rallied people to their side. In the Apocrypha, this, these tales are told in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. It's a true story. Um, Judas Maccabeus, uh, Jonathan Maccabeus, Simon Maccabeus, and Simon's son, John Hyrcanus, um, they formed a guerrilla army. Uh, Maccabees, by the way, means hammer. They were the hammers. Uh, you can look at the rebellion in detail. Uh, there are a lot of good historical sources for it. 
And while I don't often say this, even Wikipedia, just go look up the Maccabees and their revolt and you'll find more than enough to read. But then go down to the, I mean, people don't do this, go all the way down to the references and you'll find a lot of blue links in there, which means they're active links and you can go read sources. All right. That said, uh, they were not military geniuses and they made some terrible mistakes. For example, they believed it was a sin to fight on the Sabbath. So guess when the Greeks would attack them on the Sabbath and they would stand there and not use the sword they had right there and they would be slaughtered. 1000 died on one day. And then, so the Maccabees had a meeting and decided maybe God wouldn't mind if they fought back on the Sabbath. So there were three major battles, a whole lot of hit and run battles. Uh, the Maccabees would kind of strike for the night and then run back. This, this movement continued with the zealots later. And we know that some of the apostles were zealots. Uh, and one of the things the zealots did was carry weapons when they weren't allowed to. Only a Roman citizen was allowed to carry a weapon. But the zealots would um, conceal their weapons illegally. And they would do that so they could strike against the Romans or against anybody who was a traitor, who was a collaborator, like tax collectors. So you have zealots and you have Matthew all in that mix of apostles. It makes you wonder if Matthew got any sleep the first couple of months until he realized, all right, maybe I am safe here. Fast forward, they drive the Greeks from the temple and from the city. They've got, they've got a victory, but now they've got a real problem. To re-sanctify the temple, the rule is that you have to burn these lamps for eight days, but they don't have enough oil for that. It's just, not, you know, again, scarcity, war and scarcity go together. They only had enough oil for one day, so they decided to go ahead and light anyway and pray to God that he would accept what they had because they were giving them all they had. And God kept the lights going miraculously for eight days and that's why every year you've got the Jews celebrating the Festival of Lights, known mainly to us by its Hebrew name, Hanukkah. And it varies close around Christmas because the Jewish calendar is slightly different than the standard Western calendar. And it doesn't count the same kind of days in the same way. So, but it's always around Christmas time somewhere. The first um, book of Maccabees is a fascinating book. The Jews hallow it, but I do not believe they have ever called it a scripture. Uh, it was in the Septuagint. It is used by Catholics, Coptic, and Orthodox churches. Um, Protestants would read it, but I, I don't believe they ever considered it scripture. It was more history and more an encouraging set of tales. Second Maccabees was written about 70 years later. Um, it's not a history book, although it does give us some history. It's first and foremost a religious book, and it uses the rebellion, and like a sermon, it uses the rebellion like sermon illustrations to illustrate theological points. This, by the way, was very hallowed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees really loved that book. Uh, they, it embodied some of their theology. Later, the Catholics would hallow Second Maccabees because I'm saying because. Um, I really don't know that I can say because. What I can say is that some of the practices Catholics uh, have accepted and do, 
there are found in 2 Maccabees. For example, prayers for the dead, for their release from torment or their release from limbo. Uh, the Sadducees completely rejected the book because it plainly teaches the resurrection of the dead and Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of the dead or miracles or any of that. Um, Protestants rejected it really early, but please remember Protestants didn't come along for the first 1400 years of the church. But when Protestants came along, they, uh, they rejected it because it does seem to teach, 2 Maccabees, that martyrs get special credit and they become special heaven, um, become something very special in the heavenlies and that it's okay to pray for them because sometimes they intercede on earth. And that would contradict uh, Timothy and the books of Timothy were being told there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So Protestants said, no, we're not praying to saints anymore. And therefore they gave him another reason to reject uh, second uh, Maccabees. Martin Luther was a leader in rejecting the book. Uh, he said it had to be removed from the canon, but he also argued that James and some other books had to get out of the canon. So he wasn't listened to too much. That said, they're fascinating. They're fun to read. Uh, I'd recommend that you read them. Uh, but right now, I'd recommend that you go about your week. Thank you for being a part of this. I hope you've enjoyed it. God bless you. Thank you, especially those of you who are supporting our safe harbor. You've subscribed here. There's no money involved there. You've clicked the bell. That's huge for us. But you've also draw, uh, downloaded the Tidely app and given through that. Or you've given through uh, PayPal or you've, you've reached out and sent a check to us. We need that because we have people to pay and equipment to keep this going. So thank you. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you next week.